This message was recorded at Devoted, a Christ Central Festival for all the family. To find out more about Devoted, please visit devotedevent.org. So, good afternoon to all of you. And uh, my name is Graham Anns. I think most of you have met me before. And this afternoon we're going to, this is part of a, a series in the afternoons on leadership. Yesterday we were looking at leadership in the church. Today we're going to look at leadership in governance, which I guess for most of you means that you're trustees in your local church. Uh, and tomorrow we're looking at leadership in the workplace. So what I want to do today is we're going to spend most of our time looking at something called uh, the Charity Governance Code and how it will help us lead in our area of trusteeship. So our churches are required, as we all know, to operate under UK law. We, we have to follow the existing rules and regulations. In fact, as soon as we're an independent entity and we have an income of more than 5,000, we are obviously required by law to be a, a charity. And I think given the direction of our society and ongoing changes in terms of law, but also how people think about life in our society and, and also potential changes to, to gift aid, I think over the next few years we're probably going to be facing unprecedented challenges in terms of the legal aspects of our, of our churches. And so I think to be a trustee is actually quite an important role, sometimes a role that's downplayed by our church leaders, but actually is a very, very important role in the church. And so we're going to face as trustees a number of challenges, and we're not going to be looking at all those challenges today other than to reflect on the fact that obviously we as trustees, we hold the tension of legal obligations in our churches while also supporting our, our leaders to move forward in faith and trying to hold the two things together obviously is, is a challenge because for most charities, the concept of faith doesn't exist for good reasons. And, but for us, the concept of faith is inherent on who we are. And so we have to hold those two things. And so we're going to look at the, uh, the Charity Governance Code, which I'll introduce in a moment. And it represents a good standard of, of governance practice. And it is very much endorsed and supported by the Charity Commission, although it's not produced by them. It is not a regulatory requirement. So it's not something we have to go away and say, well, we have to put all of these into practice as it's laid out here. Uh, for those uh, Pirates of the Caribbean fans of you out there, the code is more what you'd call guidelines rather than actual rules. So we're going to just use it as a basis for, for considering good principles, I think, for us. So we, I hope that you're all aware that in terms of the charity commission guidance, we have three main, it's two areas, three main duties, duty of care, duty of prudence, duty of compliance, and then how to be a good charity is, is mostly about having a strong board, being fit for purpose, being financially sound and prudent, and being accountable and transparent. They're the, the, the basic things for the Charity Commission. The Charity Governance Code is based on seven principles, which we will come back at and look at in, in detail. Organisational purpose, leadership, integrity, decision-making risk and control, board effectiveness, diversity, openness and accountability. And part of the reason for me looking at this and using it as a basis is that a number of these areas are areas that the Charity Commission themselves are now beginning to focus on very hard. And so I think it, it behoves us to, to, to look at this code and use some of the basis that they've set out. 
Before we do that, though, I just want to to look at the relationship between elders and trustees. And this is always an issue of, of discussion in church. Because our churches are spiritual entities and legal entities. And the, and the two things have to have the same foundation. We have to be on the same page as people. You know, spiritual leadership and authority must bring vision. It must bring faith. It must take the church in a direction. But obviously it has to work with the corporate and the charitable leadership and authority that trustees bring um, because we, we are required to be charities. And so the two things have to work together and we need to make sure those things are working together in sync and they're not working against each other. There mustn't be a spiritual leadership side of church life and a legal side of church life that is operating against it. As soon as we, we get into the, the, the sort of mode of having the House of Commons being the church leadership and the House of Lords being the trustees, we're going to have a problem. You know, we're not there to be the House of Lords. We're not there to, to knock down every, every faith idea that our elders have. And so when you, when it's actually quite crucial when you pick trustees, when you choose trustees, that you choose people who, who are able to operate in some level of, of faith. So you should all feel that you have been trusted uh, as people not only to, to look at the basics and the legal side of it, but actually to be people of faith in your church. We have to remember that in the midst of our, our legal rule-keeping and our administration, we, we have to remember what mission we're on. You know, we're, we're on a mission. That's why we're together. And, and being a trustee in a church is just to serve that mission. It's to help it and to serve it and to call it to account at times, but it is to understand what the mission is. I mean, the Charity Commission did actually publish some, some wording a, a little while ago just to try and help churches understand how they might work. And so their, their wording said this. It said, The spiritual leadership of the church shall rest with the spiritual leadership, which in our case is, is an eldership team, or if we have, we have we're a church plant, it'll be the church plant team with um, the apostolic people being involved behind that. If there are trustees who are not members of the spiritual leadership, then their role shall be confined to the management and administration of the church in accordance with the provisions of their deed and general law. The trustees of the church shall fulfill their legal duties having due, required, due regard to the spiritual direction of the church as set out from time to time by the spiritual leadership, acting always in accordance with the requirements of their deed and the general law. So elders are accountable to God. One day, God is going to say, you are an elder, I'm holding you to account for your church. As trustees, we're not accountable to God for the church, but we are accountable to our elders for how we operate as trustees. We're also accountable to the people in terms of how we make sure that our church is, is following the, the rules and the regulations that it has to do. And ultimately, we are responsible for God, to making sure that we're working with our leaders and also doing our, our job. Also, well, what is the, the charity governance code? And given that church trustees don't lead the charity, which we don't, how does this help us in the role that we have? So we're going to look at... Oops, we've already skipped through a few there. Okay, so they're the seven principles. And we're going to look at each one of these. And what I've done is I've, I've refined them from, from what was published to, to fit with how we operate as church trustees. And I've picked out two key outcomes. So they name a number of key outcomes for each uh, principle. And so I've picked two and I've refined those to be outcomes that relate to directly to how we work. And so we're going to w- work through all those. And at the end of each one, 
we're going to have a couple of minutes to uh, think and reflect about what uh, is being asked of us. If you've come in a team or you've come together, then it'd be a great opportunity just to have two minutes to discuss. Uh, or if you're Blackburn, you can have an entire trustees meeting, I would think, judging by the row there. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to work through each one of these and then we're going to reflect on, on sort of what it means to us. And then if it's time at the end, we'll have um, some questions and answers. Okay, so the first one is, let's see if it works. That's, that's the, the, the diagram they give there. So this is the foundation of your charity. And there are these seven uh, areas or principles, that the main leading one being organizational purpose. So we're going to start with organizational purpose. Okay. So the organizational purpose is this. The board or the trustees are clear about the church's aims and advise and support the church leadership to ensure that these are being delivered effectively and sustainably. And so the two key outcomes that I've got are this. The board has a shared understanding of and commitment to the church's purpose and vision and can articulate these to, to anyone that asks and that we can demonstrate that the church is effectively achieving its charitable objectives and agree outcomes. Um, and already you can probably see that there are some, be some interesting questions raised just from that outcome alone. Now we all understand what the organisational purpose of our church is. It's to be the bride of Christ. It's to advance the kingdom of God. That's why we're at weekends like this one. It's to fill the earth with the glory and the rule of God. It's to go into the world and make disciples of all nations. That's why we're here. We're not just here to be trustees. We're, we're here for the purpose of, of God. And as trustees, we do have to be committed to our local church vision. All our churches will have a local church vision, which will be very specific to our church. What specifically has God called us to do at this point in time? And we need to make sure as trustees that we are completely happy and completely comfortable with that vision and can back it. If we can't, then obviously we have an issue. We need to make sure that we are able to back up our, our elders and our leaders um, in, in the vision that they're setting and be on board with them. And where you've got issues, you can talk freely with them. So, a couple of questions for us are these. How are the charitable objectives linked to your church vision and outworked in the life of your church? Now, your church may only have one, chari one charitable objective. Some have one, some have two, three, or four. Uh, if you have one, then it's usually a very general overarching one about preaching the gospel. Um, but it's good to reflect on, on what is written in our charitable objective in terms of how does that relate to what the vision of the church actually is. Sometimes our objectives do include things like education uh, and other things that are related to much more public service aspects. Actually, was that just written at the start when the charity was set up or is the church actually still involved in those things? Uh, and secondly, how do you or could you demonstrate that your church is effectively achieving its current vision? Now, the reality is it's the elders' job to make sure that the church is achieving the vision they've set out for it. But in terms of charity law, the Charity Commission hold us as, as trustees responsible for helping our leaders make sure the charity is doing what we said we it would do because that's part of our charitable status. And so we have to work out with our leaders how do we help them review what the church is doing. Um, and that's not something they're probably used 
to us doing as trustees. And so it's, it, if you can, it'd be good for you to take a couple of minutes, particularly if you're in a group together, just have a think about those two, uh, those two questions, and particularly the second question. Now, you haven't got to answer that today, obviously. It's for you to go and take away, and I will send you the slides as someone was asking earlier uh, to go away and reflect on. Um, but it'd be good just to, we're going to spend a couple of minutes at the end of each one of these, and we're just going to reflect on the questions that are being posed to us. So I'll give you two minutes, and then we'll come back and continue. Okay, let's move on to, to number two. Okay, number two. Number two is leadership. So our churches are led by eldership or leadership teams supported by a trustee board that provides strategic advice and expertise in line with the church's aims and values. So the two key outcomes, uh, I would say, are this, that we are able to advise and support our leadership to ensure that the charity has a relevant vision and strategy for achieving it. So that perhaps might raise questions for one or two of you. What is my, my church's vision? Uh, I kind of hope you know that. But sometimes we're, as churches, we're not very good at explaining what is our current vision for our church. Uh, and while it's not our job as trustees to set that vision, actually it is our job to ask whether we have one and whether it relates we should be able to advise and support the leadership to ensure that the church's values are reflected in all of its work. Um, that the ethos and the culture of our church underpins the way that we do everything. Now, often churches don't have a set out list of values. We kind of assume that we follow all the biblical values, and of course there are many. Um, but we do all have cultures in our churches. Every church has its own culture. Um, and I think everything that we do, and the Charity Commission is very keen on this, our, the values that we stand for need to be seen. So particularly if you um, handle anything that, like a food bank or anything that's in the, be seen in the public sphere, much more than a Sunday meeting perhaps, the Charity Commission would be looking for how the values of your church are outworked in that setting, for instance. And as trustees, we need to be able to help our leaders think through, well, we have values as a church. How do we see them being outworked, not just on a Sunday morning, but actually in all the different areas of church life that we live out? How do we help them? And again, this is a conversation to have with church leaders because most of them won't realize that we actually have a legal duty to help them with these questions. Because if a charity commission were ever to audit us, we would obviously be legally responsible for answering some of these. So they're the sort of, they're the sort of outcomes, and I think our churches, we expect our churches to have vision, like I said, but sometimes it's not always obvious, and vision changes every few years, you know, we need to be hearing from God, you know, God, where are we going as a church, and hopefully as trustees, your leaders catch you up with that, um, because I, I think they need to. So part of it is, if your church has very clear vision, very clear values, how are you able to help your leaders measure how effective it is? I think one of the weaknesses I've seen many times in church life is we announce this glorious vision uh, to the church and we spend a number of Sundays teaching through it and talking about how it's going to work and then six months down the road someone says, well, have we done any of it? 
because we don't have in place any mechanisms for looking to see how effective it's being or how ineffective it's being. You know, who is keeping track of where we're going? Because people don't want to feel they're a business, and, that, and that's fine, but the reality is we are charities, and actually we are required to be effective because we're a public body. Uh, actually, it is good in church life to know whether we're achieving a vision that we set out, otherwise people become disillusioned. And so actually we do have a role in helping our church leaders understand that being able to understand whether we're being effective or not, or what we announced all those months ago is actually happening, is actually happening. And, and what are the ways we can help each other? So it was interesting, uh, in Manchester a number of years back, uh, when we were setting a, uh, uh, announcing a new vision for the church, one of the things that we actually picked on was, well, you know, we feel God's talking to us about talking to our neighbours, uh, and about mission in that level. And so what we're going to do is we're going to say, we believe that over the next four years, we want to see uh, 500, I think it was 500, was it 1,000 conversations, gospel conversations that people have had with their, with their neighbour. Now, it wasn't not, I'm going to church today, but actually a, a conversation where we've got to the point where we're able to talk to them about the gospel. Now, of course, when you broke it down, it meant each of us had two conversations a year for the next few years, which sounds much more, much more doable, doesn't it? But what was interesting, we said to the church, look, when you've had one, let us know. Email it in, text in, and we're going to keep. Because, because then you can stand up on a Sunday and say, actually, this week, we've, we've, heard, we've had this sent into us. And you can talk about what's happening in people's lives. And suddenly, it goes from just being a nice thing to say for the next few years to something that we can catch our church up with on an ongoing basis, week by week, because we all need that. You know, it's one thing to, be, to have vision spoken to us. It's another thing for us to, to keep up with it on a week-by-week week basis and feel I'm still part of what's going on here. And so it's just helping our leaders understand how they can, how they can best do that. So I have... And this works. Oops, I've gone too far again. So, does your church have a clear vision and strategy? Does your church have a clear ethos, culture, values? And how can you help them ensure that those values are reflected in your ministry activity? So I'll let you discuss those for a couple of minutes. And uh, then we'll go on to, on to the next one. Okay, I'm going, to, I'm going to stop you there. Let's move on to number three. Okay, number three is integrity. The board acts with integrity, advising and supporting leadership to adopt values and create a culture which helps achieve the church's purposes. And there are two outcomes um, that I've come up with for this. One is that the board acts in the best interests of the church and its beneficiaries. I guess we kind of all take that for granted. Members of the board and all those working on representing the organisation are seen to be acting with integrity. Yes, you can. Hang on. Oops, and it zimmed along. Okay, so these are the questions we'll get to in a moment. So, I think the reality is that our one thing we often don't realise as trustees is actually the church do 
look at us, even though they're mostly not interested in money most of the time, the reality is the church do want to trust their trustees implicitly. They really do. And I realized after some time of being a trustee that actually people put an awful lot of faith in us, sometimes even in areas where they're not entirely sure about some of their leaders. Actually, they want the trustees to be people who, who really will yeah, know where they stand and particularly in areas like risk and like money, they know I can absolutely trust these people with my money. And sometimes we underplay that. And I think we just need to realise that people do think that. And actually a lot of trust is, in, is placed in us. And so it's one of the key areas. And certainly for the Charity Commission, it's quite a big deal. I mean, I get a weekly update from the Charity Commission. And it's all about charities that they, they're investigating. So all the time they're investigating charities. And a lot of them are religious charities, not all of them Christian, but a lot of them are religious. And the issues they find are embarrassing, very embarrassing, actually. And so it actually behoves on us to, to, to do our job well and to act with integrity. Um, I think biblically it does, obviously, because we have a biblical imperative to act with integrity and to handle money. And we could, I could do a whole session on, on 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 looking at how we handle money. Um, because I think that is a very big, important issue in our churches. Uh, but we're not going to do that today. But we are representatives of the leadership when it comes to handling things like money. Paul says we're an honour to Christ if we handle practical areas like that. We must also have the trust of the church leadership team. I think the leaders have to be able to trust the way that we interact with them. They have to be able to trust the way that we handle uh, ourselves in the church and handle the church's money, but also the legal aspects of the church. When you're a church leader, you don't want a trust that is always looking to find a problem everywhere. Now, obviously, we need to find problems where there are real problems, but we're not, they're not looking for people who are going to look under every single little thing that they say and try and find a, a legal problem with it. You know, we have to work with them in terms of faith. But managing finances and resources speaks of values. If we handle people's money well... Actually, that counts for a lot in our church. There's no good us preaching on vision and where the church is going if people suspect that their money is not being handled well. And so the reality is it's quite a big deal for us. And, you know, as, board, as trustees and board members, we need to live out what the values are. You know, if we have trustees who are not givers, then they shouldn't be trustees. Because we need to embody the values. Same as leaders. If there are any leaders in the church you suddenly discover aren't giving, well, they're not embodying the values of their of their church and so we need to embody the values of our church particularly around the areas of, of generosity and integrity honesty and service so we have two questions does the board have a strong positive relationship with the church leadership team that's your first question and the second one is this are the trustees role models of generosity integrity and service Okay, so you have two minutes to, to discuss those. <laughs> That's someone who said no to the second question. <laughs> okay, we're going to move on to principle number four. And principle number four is decision-making, risk, and control. 
So the principle is this. The board advises and supports the church leadership to ensure that its decision-making processes are informed, rigorous, and timely, and that effective delegation, control, and risk assessment and management systems are set up and monitored. So two outcomes. We advise and support our leadership to ensure that there is a sound decision-making and monitoring framework which helps us deliver what we say we're going to do. And that's probably not something most boards have ever got involved in before. And secondly, the board promotes a culture of sound management of resources, but also understands that being overcautious or risk-averse can itself be a risk and hinder our church. See, decision-making processes are actually quite key in our churches. Uh, I went to one church leadership team and they said, well, the, the way we make decisions is this. We, we discuss something and then we come to a decision, but if we can't all agree, then we park it. Okay. Well, one of their problems was they hadn't made any big decisions for quite a long time because actually they couldn't all agree. Now, sometimes there's a reason for doing that, but actually you can't run church life effectively for long like that. You have to have ways of making decisions. And while it's not our job to make decisions for them, actually sometimes it's helpful to them to have people who, who have some experience of decision-making processes to, to help them. Again, how is ministry overseen in the church? You may be involved in that yourself anyway, but how well is our ministry in the church overseen? I guess one of the biggest challenges for us as trustees is faith and prudence. How do you balance faith and prudence? Because we are, we are people of faith. And we need to be churches of prophetic direction. We need to be churches that have faith goals. And how do we work with that as a board? We have to be good at taking hold of the faith goals of our church leadership and saying, okay, this is our faith goal. How do we work with that as a board? If our faith goal is this, our budget... Is, has got £20,000 more to spend than is currently coming in on the basis that we believe we're growing, how do we as a board handle that and work with it and say, okay, three months in, we, do, we review. How do, and, and then we say, well, how are things going? How are we moving towards our goal? We've, we've got a better working faith, but actually as trustees handle what are our steps along the way to make that work. And there are a number of major areas of risk when we all know that there are particular issues of risk. We have risks in terms of employment. Some of us will have risks in terms of owning a building or facilities. There'll be risks in terms of income dropping suddenly when we have commitments in terms of spending money, wages, venue, whatever. And there are a number of other major risks. I guess one question for me is, how many of you operate a risk register? Anyone here operate a risk register? Okay, that's good. So most of you operate a risk register. Um, so I can talk to you guys. In, I'm not gonna do, when I come to see you, I'll talk about risk registers. Um, so risk registers are great because they do help us. They do make us think about the things that are risks in our church and what are we doing to mitigate those risks. And I just want to talk briefly about some of the sort of major ones at the moment. Safeguarding is always obviously a major risk as uh, churches, but particularly for us as trustees. And you may or may not be aware that the, the IICSA, the Independent Inquiry into Child Sexual Abuse, which you'll see on the news every now and again, they've obviously been particularly aiming at the Anglican Church and the, and the Roman Catholic Church up to now. They have announced a new investigation into child protection in religious organisations, and that investigation will review child protection policies, practices and procedures 
uh, in all the other denominations and it will include the new churches. So it will include new frontiers. Uh, now we may not be top of the queue, but we will be included in that. And so we just need to be aware that some of those headlines that we have seen, you know, in terms of the Anglican Church, the MacArthur Church, we're going to start to see headlines about other groups. What we don't want to see is, head- is headlines about us. So I think this is something to be borne in mind. Hey, safeguarding is one of those things that you, you can never take your eye off the ball. And I think one of the challenges uh, that's come up to us in, as churches in recent years is the fact that not only we are we responsible for, for safeguarding of children, we're now uh, responsible for the safeguarding of adults with support and care needs. And so you do need to make sure that your church is aware of that, particularly small groups or pastoral teams. If you have people in those settings who a local authority would regard as having care and support needs, then we have some legal duties, particularly if they report anything to us about what's happened in their home or with their home help or their care or whatever. We, we, uh, and you need to think about safeguarding officers should you have separate safeguarding officers for that area of safeguarding as well as the children's work. So we, just, we need to make sure that we're on top of uh, what we're doing. And, th- and that includes any investigations from the past. So if your church has ever had any investigations in the past, can you just double-check and make sure that everything was covered off properly, uh, it was all handled well, you have all the, any necessary documentation, all that sort of stuff, just because I, we now know that there's going to be some digging into some of these things. Um, and I think once the digging happens, as happened with the, the other church groups they've done, people come out of the woodwork um, and start and, and talk, obviously, because that's the aim. So we need to bear that in mind. Um, then the secondly, there's fraud and misuse of charity funds. This is another one of the Charity Commission's current hot topics. And we'll all be aware of the, the sort of money laundering and the terrorism aspect of that. But as my weekly email tells me, they are constantly investigating issues. And so actually handling our money well uh, is not just a good biblical thing to do, it's actually something that we need to do. And so we do need good policies. And I'm kind of hoping you guys all have good financial control policies. How do you handle expenses? How do you handle authorization of spending? Uh, how do you handle budgets? How do you monitor your finances? All those sort of general areas, and some of you will be very hot on this, you know, it's helpful to have fully set out policies so that people aren't just coming to the treasurer and saying, actually, I'd like to spend some money, what can I have? And obviously, the bigger our churches get, the more important it is that we have processes in place. Um, so I think those two are particularly uh, the big risk areas at the moment. In mean, the last couple of years, obviously, we've also had data protection. Um, and it's still... A little bit vague, if not very vague, as to how the government uh, and the legal system will interpret half of what they actually set out. Uh, and actually, until there's been some high-profile cases, then it's very difficult to know exactly where they, they draw the lines. Because the, the reality is we could spend hours and huge amounts of paper listing and, and checking and recording everything. And some churches have started to do that. And I think, it, I'm not sure they're really asking for that. But it's trying to interpret what they, what they want. Um, there are, there are bodies out there to help them, and I, I, certainly in terms of safeguarding, you, know, you need to talk to CCPS or their 318, I think they're called now, aren't they? So I would always advise you to talk to them. Um, stewardship are a great resource if you have other questions 
um, because these people are professionals. They, they, they know what they're doing, and they fully understand church. So I would encourage you, if you're a treasurer here, they run a, a, a hotline which you can sign up to. They also have a, a quarterly call for treasurers. Um, so it's, there's lots of resources out there for us to get hold of. So I think it, it, it's good for us to do that. So we have some questions. Does your church have a decision-making framework? You probably won't know that because I'm fairly sure your leaders will never have discussed that with you. I would say if you're going to ask your church leader about that, go through the chair of trustees. Don't all line up at the next elders meeting uh, and say, well, can we please see your... Um, because they'll be a, a, bit, a bit shocked by that, obviously. But they do need to understand, actually, that we have some, some legal duty in some of these areas. And so I, certainly as chair, I would say it's a conversation worth having. Um, because the reality is we put lots of people in place, often in church life, in church leadership positions. They have never been in a position before where they were an employer or a manager of anyone and lots of other settings. And we're not... We're slowly getting there and trying to provide more and more input for that, but actually we've got a long way to go. And so sometimes people actually need help, they're just not, they're not getting it. And I do think we can help. Uh, how does your church sort of manage its, its ministries and activities? How do you as a board balance faith and risk? And how thorough are your safeguarding policies and how effectively is your church practice monitored? So some of those questions will be more relevant to you than others. So I'll give you a couple of minutes just to to start talking about those. Okay, I'm going to stop you there. We're going to move on to number five. Uh, number five is board effectiveness. How effective are you as a team? So the outcomes really here are, do we have the appropriate skills and knowledge in our trustees team to be effective in our role? Uh, and if we're not, do we put ourselves in any training, actually? And secondly, does the chair of your board help to develop your relationships and your skills and enable you to work together well? Obviously, if your chair is sitting with you, then you can have an interesting discussion amongst yourselves. So this is, this is really about us being, able, being feeling confident that we, we, we understand enough about the finance, we understand enough about employment, we understand enough about some of the basic legal aspects of, of charity compliance uh, as a minimum. And also things like buildings, where we have buildings, that adds a, a whole dimension onto uh, what we need to know. Also things like safeguarding, risk. These are areas we increasingly need to know more and more about. And I think it's helpful to have an expert in particularly things like safeguarding on your, on your board. And if you haven't, please look for one. Um, because I think it is very important, or train somebody to do that. I think these skills are important. HR and helping your church understand what it is to manage people. Sometimes when, when we're small, it's less of an issue, but when we, we grow and we suddenly find there's four or five people employed, sometimes part-time, actually are we helping our leaders understand what it is to, to manage people well as an employee, never mind just as a, as a church member. I think that the chair of trustees is an important role. If you're the chair of trustees, you do have a very important role here. It is, your role is not just to set the, set the, the agenda of the meeting. It, it is to try and help the team work together well. It is to make sure you get the right sort of people onto the team. And I think it is also particularly key in relating to the elderships, particularly the, the team leader in the eldership. 
I think, because that, that relationship makes a lot of things a lot easier when it comes to working out how the two teams work together. So I really would encourage you to put effort and time into building good relationships with your, your leaders and particularly the, the, the team leader. So the questions are these. Do you have a good spread of skills? Have you considered training? How effectively do you operate? There's probably too many questions here. Uh, what is the relationship between the board and the church leadership team? So I'll give you a couple of minutes just to, to look at those and then we'll come back and move on to the next one. Okay, we're going to move on to number six. And number six is diversity. So the principle here is that our approach to diversity supports the effectiveness of our church. But also we we have boards whose trustees are of different backgrounds and experience because that is more likely to encourage debate and make better decisions. But also, again, it's something the Charity Commission is is looking at. And so the outcomes of this, the board is more effective if it includes a variety of perspectives, experiences and skills and backgrounds. And secondly, the board needs to ensure actually the church follows principles of equality and diversity, obviously within some of our uh, theological framework. But what we, what we shouldn't have is increasingly churches that are multicultural, but our, our trustee board or our eldership are white middle class, and particularly white middle class men. It's actually great to see ladies here today. We need to make sure that, those, that our elderships and our trustee teams are a reflection of our churches. And I think actually people need encouragement into that and our leaders need help with understanding how to encourage people of different backgrounds and different cultures into some of these areas because we're so stuck with a, a Western white middle class mindset that says, well, if they're a potential leader, then they're somebody who's bouncing up and down and desperate to pray on a Sunday or is asking if they can do this, that and the other. Whereas... There are a lot of other cultures who see that as arrogant, and they'll never do that. And so there'll be people hiding in the back, and we say, well, they're not obvious leaders, because we're looking, we're not using the right filters. And so I think our churches do need help with that, and I think we need to make sure as trustee teams that we're, that we're on the front foot with that as well. Uh, so I, you know, I like to hope that our trustee teams do reflect our churches. I think culturally, age-wise, you know, let's make sure they're not all white middle-aged men or white millage women even, let's make sure there's a much greater spread of ages, greater spread of backgrounds, and spread of cultures, because our churches are so multicultural now. Um, and so I think that's, that's an important thing for us. So the questions for us on this one are this. Does the personnel makeup of your board reflect your church? And does your church follow principles of equality and diversity in terms of certainly bringing through leaders in particular, I think? Um, does it do that? So there are your two questions for the next couple of minutes. Okay, number seven, number seven. Number seven is openness and accountability. <laughs> Clearly one of our major roles is to support our church in terms of its legal responsibilities being accountable and transparent. So the two key outcomes for me are 
that the churches, and these are obviously taken from, from the code, the church's work and impact are appreciated by all of its stakeholders and builds public trust and confidence. Now, actually, we might think this applies less to us than some other charities, but from a charity commission point of view, this is still quite a, a big deal. For a lot of us as churches, we run lots of projects. So never mind the general flow of church life, the Sunday mornings, the small groups. Actually, we're all probably all doing a lot of things that are involved in our local community. And from a charity commission point of view, they, they want to make sure that we are open and accountable in every area of where we're operating. Um, and even to those people who are recipients of our services, should they be interested in that information. Um, and that's not something we particularly thought about as, as churches because we think, well, we'll, well once a year we'll, we'll update our members if they're really interested at an annual general meeting. Um, and even then, probably only a third of the church turn up. But actually, the Charity Commission are looking at us in terms of accountability, not only from people we would see as members, but actually anyone who receives any of our services. And so it's just worth uh, bearing that in mind. And the second thing is that we help our leaders ensure that, that, that the openness and accountability of the church is true in every area of church life. So it's not just an issue of how do we handle our money. Actually, it's how do leaders handle people? Um, we don't want a culture in our church of, well, this is what the leadership says, this is how the leadership goes. Yes, the leaders are leading us in direction, but it's how do we handle people? And I think that's not an area we're generally involved in as trustees, but I think our job is partly to help our leaders have a culture of accountability and transparency. You know, there should be no culture in our church of the leaders are the superstars at the front of a meeting. We must make sure that we, you know, that is not our culture. And sometimes people like to put leaders on pedestals or particular ministries on pedestals, and we just need to make sure that we're, we're aware of some of that. Um, so there are the sort of, some of the sort of main outcomes. And what you'll find at the moment is the Charity Commission is, is suddenly become very hot on things like whistleblowing because obviously it's in the news, particularly in the news in terms of a government level. But... The Charity Commission would now like every charity to have a complaints policy which is posted on your website. So anyone in your organisation or anyone who is a recipient of your services should be able to easily access a complaints policy which allows them to complain about you to you. And obviously as trustees that will probably come back to you. Um, so we do need to do that. And then obviously anything in relation to whistleblowing, particularly if it comes from employees, and we need to make sure that we're on top of that and we have good procedures in place for handling that well. Um, if, and it's often difficult. If people have got issues with leaders, they usually don't want to go and tell the leaders that. Sometimes they'll come to their small group leader, but other times they may come to a trustee because you are people that they see are in a trusted position in, in the church. But even our church members should know what the, the policies and the procedures are, really. So we just need to be able to demonstrate both to our people and our, our recipients but also the charity commission, are we truly accountable? Are we open to anyone saying anything about us and taking it seriously and following it up? Do we have a process for that? And so I think we do need to get hold of that because I think in the past there's, there's been less onus on that by them. But this is all about public reputation. And certainly a couple of years back the charity commission were hit very hard by the government who said, we've heard lots of stories 
about char charities abusing their members, not handling their money well, and what are you, the Charity Commission, doing about that because that's your job? And so suddenly, you used to better set up a charity in about three months because that's all they were doing, and then suddenly it took nine months or a year to set up a charity because they're suddenly racing around looking at all the things that are going wrong in our charities. And so this is one of their, their, their big issues, which is why they send out this weekly update. And it is about public reputation. You know, we, what we have to realise is we're in a very privileged position in this country in that the gift aid scheme is of massive benefit to us. I mean, we all know that. 25% of people's giving under the gift aid scheme, we recoup back. Now, in other countries that have a scheme at all, like the US or Canada, they have a similar scheme, but the scheme means the money goes back to the individual. And so churches are left in the position of trying to encourage individuals to give more in the first place and account for the fact they're going to get the tax back. Um, but there is discussion at government level about tapering gift aid off. And so we just need to be aware, actually, that that gift aid may disappear at some point. And so we need to make sure that as charities we are absolutely above board. We don't want the Charity Commission to have reasons for the government to lean on them when it comes to charitable status. And so that's why the Charity Commission is really very tough on, on accountability and openness at the moment. So that's just something to be aware of. Data protection obviously is part of that, and it is only part of that, and, and we have sort of touched on that at the moment. It's difficult to know how in-depth they're going to go for some of those issues, but I guess it will become a little bit clearer over time. But we just do need to make sure that we don't spuriously ask for people's information without being very clear about what it's for and what we're going to do with it. And making sure that if people do write in, uh, on, which they can legally, then there are a set of procedures that we're following that mean they know what's going to happen to their, their request, how it gets handled, all those sort of things. We just need to know that we're on top of it. Obviously, we should be on top of our accounting and our handling of finance. Uh, we've, we should have all been on top of that for years. But I think it's not just about the legal requirements. It is about how our church sees us handling our money. Um, and the same goes for Christ Central. It's why there's you know, some, some stuff in the handbook that I've put there that gives people an idea of where some of the money goes. And yes, some of it does come down to trust. In the end, in our church, in our churches, there is some trust. There has to be some trust in the leadership how the money's spent, but actually some people's trust is in you that you're aware of where the money's being spent and you're keeping your eye on how it's being handled. And I guess the same is true for Christ Central Churches. How, how is the money that comes in being handled uh, by us? Uh, and obviously some of that comes down to me. So I think there are other things in terms of accountability, in terms of employment. How, what is our practice? Things like uh, recruitment, Appraisal processes. Most churches don't have them. My personal opinion is if you're an employee, you deserve one. Because I think we get the idea that an appraisal process is there to tell people what they've done wrong every year. It isn't. An appraisal process is supposed to be a, a, a positive thing that finds out where you're at, how you're doing, what training you need, how you can be developed, what, comp what input you've got onto the organisation as a whole. And yes, it might include some things they can do better. Great. But the reality is that's only a small part of what it's about. And otherwise, we take people on and then we, we, we ask them to do an awful lot of work. And often in church, people go well beyond the hours they're required. And we don't look after them very well, actually. Um, and you can see why church leaders often go into breakdowns, have affairs, all this sort of thing, because there's not enough 
support behind them. And the same could be true of, of people, other people we employ in our church. And I think we just need to be on top of that. And I think as trustees, that is our job to be involved in that. Other areas that are perhaps more difficult, things like pastoral ministry. Obviously, in pastoral ministry, we're involved in lots of situations, some of them very delicate and very difficult. But particularly with the change in safeguarding law, there is much more of an added element of accountability with people with care and support needs in terms of how we handle those things now. And again, what records we keep. You know, if your pastoral team keeps full written records of everybody's name and everything we've done for them, then you may find you have a problem at some point down the road. How do they handle that? They might need some, some help with how they handle those processes because it's, it's not simple. So we have some questions before we finish. How open generally is the church to constructive feedback? Are our policies relevant to openness and accountability, i.e. safeguarding, data protection, financial controls, complaints, etc.? And the last one I've put on here, how involved is Christ Central Churches in your church and leadership team? Um, now, you may not know that, but I, I, you know, I, do, I regularly go to different churches, travelling around quite a lot, and sometimes I'm a bit disappointed about how involved we as Christ Central Churches are in some of your churches. Um, sometimes you, you talk to people, they come here and they say, well, this is the first we've heard about Christ Central since we came last year. I think, well, actually, that's quite disappointing. Uh, and so I th- I've tagged that on because I think it is part of your leadership being accountable outside of themselves. And that's part of the reason you're in with us. It is about mission, but actually it's also about being part of a, f- it's also about being part of a family. And as a family, we are accountable to each other. That's, that's part of being a family, isn't it? It's about supporting each other, developing each other, learning from one another and being accountable. And that's part of the deal. And so your church leaders are accountable in that sense. Yes, it's voluntary because we're part of Christ Central Voluntary. But, but that is there. That's part of the reason you're here. And so I think that's a question for you as trustees to ask them every now and again. Okay, so I'll give you a couple of minutes with those before we finish. Okay, guys, thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. Lovely to see you. I will... Well, you can, we can all ask questions now, but I'm just aware that obviously we, we've overrun our time, so I don't want to make you stay. I'm, I'll stay around for a little bit. Um, you can ask me questions, but obviously I'm aware we, we said finish by three and it's after three. Um, so great to see you. Thank you for coming. And I'll see you next year. Again, if you've got issues in your trust, yeah, feel free to, to talk to me. Uh, I think most of you should have my email address. So you can ask me things. I won't always know the answer, but you can, you can ask. Uh, I'm, I'm, I think we want, as much as we can, Christ Central, to support you guys in what you do. We do value what we do in the churches. And we don't just want to support leaders. We want to support our trustees as well. And so that's what, what this is about, really.